guys, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter number two. And we're going to begin our reading there. Uh, as we continue with our series on preparing for greater. Everybody say preparing for greater. Sister Dorothy, so good to see you, ma'am. Thank God for his healing. We miss your smiling face. Amen. Good to have you back here in the place. Amen. God bless you. Um, Ephesians chapter number two, we're going to read verse number one, but we've been talking about preparing for greater. We start this series uh, looking at the children of Israel and their journey out of captivity into Egypt uh, and their journey through the wilderness to the promised land. But we understand as we read and dissect scripture that an entire generation failed to receive and to embrace and to to capture what God had for them because of their fear, their unbelief, and their complaining, right? And what we're saying is, as a church body and as individual Christians, we don't want to be guilty of God having prepared something for us, but we weren't prepared to get what he prepared for us. How many of you know that even though God has it prepared for you, it's no guarantee that you will walk in it If you don't walk by faith, if you don't uh, trust God, if you're not willing to take him at his word, God had told his children, every place that your foot treads upon, I've already given it to you. Go in and possess the land. Is that what he told him? He says, wherever you step, I'm going to make sure that you are victorious. But guys, I'm going to tell you something. Many of us sitting here today, God says, I have greater things prepared for you. But you got to prepare yourself to go in and conquer, to take the land. I'm on your side. I'm giving you my strength. And when you step into the land of promise, it's yours. Yes, there's opposition there. Yes, there's enemy there. But guess what? You're going to be able to take it. But they didn't. A entire generation didn't because of unbelief and not taking God in his word. So we, we, that's how we got started on this. And then now we begin to pick on, and we've been talking about this for the last, I don't know, six, seven weeks about preparing for greater in relationships. The told you we got to be prepared for greater in relationships because if God left us here in this earth, to be a vessel that he can utilize to reach mankind with the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you and I have to become more proficient and more effective in building relationship with people, saved and unsaved, but particularly those who are not saved. Because if I, if I don't learn how to do relationships better, then my ability to be used by God is going to be stunted because of my wounds and my, my, my uh, stuff that I haven't dealt with in my life. Can I get a witness? So we got to get better because God wants to use us, amen, to reach a dying world. I'm going to tell you right now, we're not going to reach this world by politics. In case you hadn't figured it out. You're not going to change a person's heart through the legal system. Only Jesus can deal with the heart. Can I get half a witness up in here? And so we're going to start our reading here in, in, in Ephesians chapter number two. Uh, and then we're going to jump on into the middle of this text. Because one of the things I told you was, as we went through this series, I wanted us to talk about the one another's that the Bible speaks of. Because it, 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 he does a, 
Uh, scripture talks about quite often what we should do. We should love one another, accept one another, serve one another, comfort one another, forgive one another, honor one another, bear one another's burdens, encourage one another, pray for one another, and be kind to one another. All those one another's embodies a relationship. I can't pray with you if I don't even know you. I mean, not really pray for you. I can't encourage you if I never interact with you. Can I get a witness? I can't bear your burden if I, don't, if I only speak to you at church. And how many of you know, just because you know somebody does not mean that you really have a relationship with them. Amen? How many of y'all know Michael Jordan? You may know his name. You may know what he, he did on, on the basketball court. Uh, but you don't really know him. Right? And see, a lot of us know fellow Christians and a lot of us know people who we work with. But God is saying, I need you to go a little bit deeper than that. Because I want to use you to impact that person's life. And you can't significantly impact a person's life just being on the periphery. So now God is going to call all of us to, to come out of our comfort zone because many of us are in our comfort zone. We're around our families and that's good. Uh, you know, we, we, we love our families, but we don't get too far outside of our families. And God is saying, I got to use you to reach some people. So you got to get more comfortable in building relationships. So that's why we're talking about preparing for greater in our relationship development. Amen. So let's go. Let's go. Ephesians chapter number two. Uh, start reading at verse number one. And then and, and again, we deal with our, we got to deal. We got to know ourselves first because you can't really. How, how are you going to be in a relationship with somebody else in, 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 in a God honoring way? But you don't even really know yourself. You're not even true to yourself. You haven't really dealt with your heart wounds and your, the other issues, your mother wound, your father wound, we talked about the all alone wound. And they're going to deal with the heart wound because you don't even know yourself really well. You haven't really been honest with yourself and you haven't let anybody into that little circle that you've really been truthful and transparent with. So how, 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 how God going to use you to help reach somebody else and you don't even know yourself? Everybody says it's not going to happen. Watch this. Uh, Ephesians chapter number two, verse number one. The Apostle Paul has arrived at this text. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. And notice what he says. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. He says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the command of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Let's read that one more time. Uh, he is the spirit that's what? At work. Where about in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God? He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. How many of y'all recognize that there are people who are in the church who refuse to obey God? And if you're in the church and you're refusing to obey God, then the devil is at work in your heart. That's what it just said. I didn't make that up, did it? Look at what he says here. He, he says, you live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the command of the powers of the unseen world. Here's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Verse number three, let's read. It says what? All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. How many of y'all used to be unsaved? Raise your hand. All of us were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. All of us have a past. All of us have done things 
that we're not proud of. Can I get two hands raised? Yeah, yeah. All of us have done things. We, we wish we could have that decision back, don't we? Unfortunately, we don't get the, we don't get the benefit of going back in, in, in time and, and, and starting all over again. We got to go forward. Amen. I say go forward. So all of us used to live that way, following the passion and desires and inclination of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Now, now don't miss this. He's talking to saved people here. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. And what he's saying is, is we used to be this way. We used to be without a connection or a relationship with the God who created the heavens and earth. Watch him now. He says, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. Look at verse number four, though. Watch this. But God, everybody say God. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much. The text says that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. Look at verse number six. Read it. It says, what? For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are uni- united with Christ Jesus. Let's keep reading. He says what? Next verse. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ. Verse number eight. We'll stop there. He says what? Uh, God saved you by his grace when you believe and you can't take credit for this. It's a what? It's a gift from God. So let's walk through here right quick. Okay. Now, you guys know we've been talking about wounds first. We said in order to know yourself, you got to deal with the wounds that's inside of you. We said a wound is what? Any unresolved issue where a lack of closure adversely impacts and shapes the direction and the, na- the dynamics of a person's life now. Again, let's read again. It's any unresolved issue. I'm going to ask you a question right now. As you sit there in your seat with your Bible, your iPad in your hand, do you, if you really take five seconds to think about, are there any unresolved issues in your life? Are there, any, are there any unresolved stuff that you haven't really appropriately dealt with people who you are in a relationship with? If I'm a betting man, and I'm not, but if I were, I would bet on this. I would bet that 99.9% of us in here has a, a, a unresolved issue that we have not appropriately and godly, in a godly type way dealt with. Now, I know some of y'all, some of y'all are dealt with like, man, I'm through with her. Baby, that ain't dealing with it. When you say I'm through with her, I'm through with him, I, I just, you know, I, I just, you know, keep peace. I ain't going to create no ruckus, you know. I'm just going to the holidays are coming up and, and you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over there. But you know what? I ain't going to have too much to say. As I told you on last week, you say I'm going to treat her with a long handle spoon. You know what that means? That means, I, 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 yeah, yeah, I'm going to speak to you. I'm watching, but, but you know what? I, I'm not going to get too close to you. And so, baby, that's not handling it. That means you got an unresolved issue because God desires for all of us in here, every last one of us who are born again, who are saved, he desires for us to learn how to deal with the wounds in our life. Because if we don't deal with those wounds, it's going to render us ineffective in developing a relationship with people. Because you don't trust nobody now. 
and you're not honest with anybody. Can I say it again? You're not really honest with anybody. You're not really transparent. So, other, so, so because you're not honest, you're not transparent, nobody really knows you. Nobody really knows what you're really feeling and what you're really thinking because you, you kind of keep it close to the vest. Huh? You're keeping it close to the vest because the last time you got transparent, you got honest with somebody, they hurt you. And so you made, a, you made a conscious decision that I, I, I ain't going, I don't like hurt, and I don't want to hurt anymore, so I'm, I'm going to just pack it in, and, and, and I'm not going to show any outward sign. But you know what, God, you know, man looks at the outside, but God looks at what? Looks at the heart. So that wound, that's any unresolved issue that's, that's, that's shaping an impact in the direction and the dynamics of a personal life now. So we talk about the father wound at first. Many of y'all are dealing with a father wound. Maybe it's absent father, father who was, you know, was there but not there, a father who uh, maybe was abusive or whatever. And so that father wound is impacting you today because you haven't really dealt with it. We dealt with the mother wound, right? The overly bonded with mother wound. That mother wound is there in a lot of uh, adults' life. And it, that wound, if you don't ever deal with it, you can, carry it into, you can carry it to your grave, actually. You can be 50, 60, 70 years old dealing with a mother wound or the all-alone wound. But today, we're talking about the heart wound. And every last one of us, at some point in time, had a heart wound. All right? Let's go into Romans, the third chapter, okay? What is the heart wound? The heart wound is man's inability to do good before God apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, really, without Christ, there's no way we can please God. Yet people try to do it. Yet there are people in church who are not really even saved, but they're masking, they're perpetrating, they look like they're saved, and they act like they're saved, but they haven't really given their heart to Jesus. Right? Go, go, go into uh, Romans, the third chapter. Look at verses 10 through 12. Romans chapter number 3, verses 10 through 12. The heart wound is man's inability to do good before God apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Romans 3 verse 10 says what? As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. Verse 12 says what? All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. So Paul said as he writes, to the saints at Rome here in this third chapter. So the heart wound is something we got to deal with because, as I told you before, many of us go around telling people, tell people just go follow your heart. Baby, don't ever tell anybody to follow their heart. Why? Go to Jeremiah 17. I shared it with y'all before. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 and 10. Baby, just follow your heart. That's why you're in trouble right now. You've been following your heart. Huh? Some of y'all are so messed up when it comes to relationship because you followed your heart and in your heart, it's some, 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 can I put it this way? Some jacked up stuff. See, apart from Christ Jesus, we can't commune with a holy God. Jeremiah chapter 17. And let's look at verses 9 and 10. Look at what the text says here. Ready, read. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. And desperately what? So why are you telling people to follow a deceitful, wicked thing? 
And we all have said it. Yeah, baby, just, just, just follow your heart. And some of y'all have followed your heart down a trail that has led you to a heartache and pain. Disappointment and discouragement. Huh? Depression and on, uh, every other thing that can come up because you followed your heart. The human heart is mostly deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Verse number 10, let's read together. It says what? But I, the Lord, does what? Search all hearts and examine what? Secret motives. That's what the Lord does. He knows our motivation for doing what we do. You can look at somebody and do something from the outside and think it's, it's a good God honoring thing, and God is looking at that person hard and saying, mm, Ain't nothing to that. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know they're crying. I know they're dancing. Ain't nothing to that. They're doing it to be seen. Wipe that off. They don't get any credit for that. They're just showing out. I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Mm -hmm. Every man proclaims his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. See, every man has the heart wound. And we, we... because we all are fallen and flawed human beings at odds by nature, by our very nature. We are at odds with our creator and with each other. We saw it in Ephesians, the second chapter. You know, we're at odds with God. We're at enmity with God until we make a decision to invite Christ into our heart to save us. We are separated from God and we're under his judgment. We have inherited a corrupt nature that no human effort can cure. The Bible says all of us are born in sin and shaping in iniquity. So as a result of that, our corrupt nature left unaddressed inevitably corrupts our lives with sin. Okay? So we got a heart problem. Everybody say heart problem. Uh, you know, uh, one of the things that um, I think they'll do whenever they, you, you go into a doctor's office and, and you've had some complication with being to breathe regularly or whatever, they do, they'll, they'll, they'll do what they call a stress test. Maria had to do one here recently, a stress test. And that stress test came back not quite up to speed, I guess, whatever the normal ratings that they wanted in there. So what, because it didn't come up to speed, they, what they did was they said, we want to do a heart cath. That's where they stick this thing through your vein. Come on. Nurses, y'all gonna be nodding at me. Y'all be nodding. My nurses, I nod them. They, 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 they stick their thing up to your vein, and then it goes up to the artery of your heart, right? And so it, it's a scope, isn't it? And they can see in there if there's any blockage. If there's some blockage, they'll put what they call a stent. Yeah, in there. Y'all know what a stent is? Everybody say stent. Okay. So they'll put a stent in there in order to open the valve up so the blood can do what? Everybody know. The blood got to float because there's life in the what? Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about that later on. There's life in the blood. Without the blood flowing properly, you can't, you can't operate properly. Ooh, I, I feel another sermon coming on with that one. There's life in the blood. The blood that was shed for me out on Calvary, amen, on Calvary's hill, that blood washes away my sin. That blood gives me new life, Brother Vic. The heart, the heart is a crucial vessel, and we can't live without our heart beating properly, right? Let me, let me, I got to keep moving, okay? So, I, so, so all of us come into this world with a depraved heart, and so we have, we have a, 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 a sin nature that has to be dealt with. Because now that heart room with all, which all of us come into the world with, one thing we got to realize that 
it causes dysfunction. Amen. We are all dysfunctional by nature. What do I mean by dysfunctional? That means that there, there are some things that, that, that's, that's a part of our nature, part of our life that's not right. Okay? Every last one of us in here has a certain level of dysfunctionality because we're born in sin and we're shaping iniquity. And if we don't ever deal with that heart room, you can come to church, sing in the choir, deacon on the deacon board, preach in the pulpit, but if you haven't dealt with the heart room, you're not even saved. Look at this. Most of our real problems are in us, not out there. Let me say it again. Most of our real problems are in us and not out there. Most of us, amen, deal, most of us will really try to turn the attention to what somebody else is doing and not deal with what's going on in here. Are y'all with me today? So most of our real problems are in us and not out there. This wound, the heart wound, cannot be healed by education. It can't be healed by putting you in a better environment. It can't be healed by self-understanding. And it can't be healed by willpower. Amen. The only way we can get this heart room dealt with is we got to receive Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Jesus is our only solution to the heart wound. Go in right quick to Romans 5, verse number 8. Right quick. The heart wound. But Pastor, why are you saying that? Because we're all Christians and we're in the church. Listen, I don't assume anything. See, there are many people, I'm, I'm afraid... That there are people sitting up in church thinking they're saved, but they're really not. Some of y'all are sitting here right now thinking that because you got baptized, you're really saved. But you still got a heart wound. Because some of the indication of the heart wound is, think about this for a second. You don't even really... If, if, if you if you were really honest, that's why I say most of us in here don't don't let anybody really know where we really are. Some of y'all sitting here right now know good and doggone well you really have no interest in spiritual things. Yet you come to church every Sunday. You, you, if, if you were to be honest, and most of y'all won't be honest if I, if I really asked you. And I'm not going to embarrass anybody here. But if I kept it, actually, say, so you love God? You say you love God? You don't love God? What's wrong with you? Okay. <laughs> My little grandson, when that song first came out, I, don't, I forgot how old it was, two or three years old. He, 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 Papa, you don't love God? I'm still getting used to Papa, y'all. You understand that? I, I tried to give my name, I tried to make it G-Daddy. To be a cool grandpapa, <laughs> but he insisted on calling me Papa. So it's kind of stuff. But he said, "Papa, you don't love God. What's wrong with you?" <laughs> I do. But 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 some of you sitting there right now, and you know, if you were to be dead level honest, that B- Bible teaching really don't move you. If you were to be really honest and transparent, you come to church. But you don't really value spending time with God away from this building. If you want to be really honest, which I already said, most of you are not going to be really honest. And I would be afraid to be sitting up in here not really having 
a God consciousness about my life. I would I would I would I would be afraid to come to church and not really pursue the things of God outside of church. Because when you love a thing, it becomes evident. I told you before, that song was so true. When a man loves a woman, he can't do what? Can't keep his mind on nothing else. All right, can we make it plain? Brothers, look at me, brothers. Brothers, do y'all have a woman that you love? Mm-hmm. I, got, I only had about four or five brothers say anything, and that kind of scared me. See, when you really love, and you go back to when you were dating, you were pursuing and trying to, to, to captivate her before she married you, you know good and well that, and you wouldn't let your, you know, you were trying to be cool, you wouldn't let your, your homeboys know that she had blown your mind. But she had. Because where it used to be, you were hanging with them, but now all of a sudden, uh, no, no, I can't go today, man. I can't go today. I got something else to do. Because your mind was on her. You, you, when you fell in love, you couldn't think of anything else. I tell you before, when I was in playing ball over Louisiana Tech, and I come home and work during the summers, um, and uh, I was dating this girl from Haynesville. Yeah, she's from Haynesville. Anybody from Haynesville? We got some Haynes- Haynesville in the Haynesville is representing the house. Let me see the hands of some Haynesville folk in the house. Can any good thing come out of Haynesville? Yes, right there. And y'all too, y'all too, but you know. But man, listen, I knew something was different. Because when, a, when, when, when you can work construction all day out in the summer heat, bro, Tyrone, come home, this is, this is before cell phones, y'all, take a shower, call her, and tell her I'm coming over there, stay over there to 10.30, 11 o'clock at night, drive an hour back, get back at 12 o'clock, get up in the morning at 5.30, and go to work for 6.30, and do it again four out of five days a week. <laughs> Something was on my mind. Girl, you're on my mind. I'm thinking about you all the time. Okay, okay, okay. Listen, God, listen. When you love Jesus, he's on your mind. His plan and purpose for your life will be running at the forefront. It will have a preeminent place in your life. So if you come to church but don't ever think about Jesus outside of church, check your love. You may still have this heart wound. Are y'all with me today? So the only solution to the heart wound is Jesus himself. Let me caution you about something. Faith in Jesus doesn't mean that we suddenly become perfect. So even though, even us, those of us who have invited Christ into our heart to save us, there's some residual effects of the heart wound. The heart wound is that period of time before we had a covenant relationship with God. And so once we invite Christ into our heart to save us, 
then then it doesn't mean that we you know just everything is perfect and we don't do anything wrong. The heart wound can wear all kinds of sophisticated masks to hide itself. That's why I say sometimes we're in church and we still got a heart wound. Every person who's born has had a heart wound. You may not have had a father wound, you may not have had a mother wound, you may not have had an all alone wound, but I guarantee you've had a heart wound because you were born in sin just like I was and shaping iniquity. And the only solution for that heart wound is to invite Christ in your heart to save you. But when you invite Christ in your heart to save you, you have to realize that there's still some things that, that we got to deal with. But just make sure, make sure that you're not in the church, church uh, wearing a mask because uh, the, 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 one, one of the masks that, that the heart wound uh, uh, wear, wears, the person who has the heart wound wears, is the education mask. You, you figure you can educate your way to heaven. Uh, thank God for education, but education won't get you to heaven. And so you can come and study the Bible and know Bible verses, but not know Jesus. The education mask, the personality mask. Some people have the personality bent and they, they can talk the talk. They can, they, they can, they can share and, they, and they're good to be around good people, but they're not really saved because they still have their heart wound. And there's those who have, who have the rule keeper mask. You, you meet all the rules. You want to make sure you tie. You want to make sure you do this and do that, but you really not have never really had a personal relationship with Jesus. So you still carry in that heart room, but it's masked because you had everything. You here at church, you here on Wednesday, you come to Sunday school, uh, you, you, you had every men's ministry, a women's ministry, you go and, and pray for the sick, but you never really made a decision to accept Christ as your, as your Lord and Savior. You keep all the rules, you do all the right stuff, but never really surrendered your heart. And, and, and you're not really truthful enough with anybody to share with them what you really are. And then the, the, the last mass is the religious mass. Again, you know, you look religious, talk to talk. But that's not what we're looking for. There, again, when you look at this thing, the heart wound, there's a lingering effect to the heart wound, and it, it shows up in what we do in our actions every day, okay? When we disconnect from our heart, guys, it sets us up for failure and leads us into dangerous and damaging territory. Go with me right quick, um, if you will. Um, go with me to the gospel according to Mark. Let's go to Mark. Are y'all still with me? And let's notice what Jesus says about the heart. Mark, I think it's the seventh chapter. Mark chapter seven. Let's start reading at verse number 14. Got to move here. So the heart wound. Make sure and examine yourself. See, do, do you recall a time where you invited Christ to come into your heart to save you? Was the plan of salvation ever explained to you plainly to where you understood what you were doing? Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? He was God manifest in the flesh, uh, born of a virgin in, in, in a manger in Bethlehem. Amen. Died on Golgotha's heels on the cross of Calvary, was buried, resurrected the third day morning with all power and heaven under his hand. And did you honestly and consciously say, Jesus, I want you to come into my heart to save me? And you meant that? So you can say the words, but not mean it with your heart. Here's how you can tell if you really meant it. If you really meant it, it's going to result in some life change. You can't be hooked up with Jesus sincerely and truthfully and, and remain the same. If you're still doing the same old stuff, acting the same old way, behaving the same uh, in such outrageous manner, then there is something wrong with your professional faith. Okay? Watch this text. 
the heart won't. Look, watch what Jesus said. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. Watch this. Next verse. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes where? That comes where? That comes, you defile how? By what comes from your heart. Now, again, let's put some context around this. At this time when Jesus makes this statement here, uh, there are some Pharisees and Sadducees who came uh, uh, looking for Jesus to follow him to try to falsely accuse him because his, his fame... And, and what he was doing had, had, had miraculous impact. And so uh, these religious leaders were threatened by Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you, if you back up just a little bit with me, uh, go back to me, uh, if you will, to go, go to verse one. Hurt. Verse one. Come on. Got to move. Got to move. Front the heart, the heart, heart. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient tradition. See, the Pharisees had added stuff to the law. And one of the things that they added was this ceremonial washing of hands. This had nothing to do with hygiene, personal hygiene. It had everything to do with a ceremonial washing. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Now, I would advise you, you know, if you go and buy dishes out of, out, out, of the, um, uh, out of the store from Walmart or wherever, I do advise you to wash it before you use it. Okay? Y'all with me? But don't make it a, a religious law. You're going to hell, you didn't wash that skillet. Watch, watch. He says, says, so the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Next verse says what? Uh, Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Next verse. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Next verse says what? Uh, For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Verse 9 says what? Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. Next verse says what? Verse 10. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God. Honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father and mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. Here's folks who say, well, you know, Pastor, I, I, you know, uh, I know the Bible says tithe, but, you know, I help people out in the community. So uh, rather than bring the tithe, I'm going to help people out in the community. Anyway, so he said bring all the tithe into the where? Let me show you what, you, what, what was happening here because my time is running on me. What these Pharisees would do with their with they old hypocritical mask wearing self, what they would do is they would... Um, they would, they, would, they would declare what is called a Corbain vow. Corbain, C-O-R-B-A-N. A Corbain vow was something that um, 
if, 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 if something was Corbain, it was it was dedicated and set apart for God's use. And so when you look at this, this text here, Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees about a ritual that didn't have any reality to it. And so uh, what they would do is they're talking about hand washing. He said, well, listen, you guys are hypocritical because here you guys go. You're supposed to be helping your father and your mother. But instead of helping your father and mother, the money that you was supposed to be dedicated to them, you, you declare that it's a Corbain vow. And so because it's a Corbain vow, you don't have to help your mom and dad. You, you say you take it to the temple for the vow. But really, they wouldn't even take, take it to, 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 to the temple for the vow. I got to stop talking so fast. Right. All right. They were not taking the Corbain vow to the temple. They were keeping it for themselves. And then telling everybody else and telling their parents, well, I can't help you this month because I got a Corbain vow. I got the, I got the honor. Y'all follow me there? So Jesus said, y'all are being hypocritical. Y'all simply talking about hand washing stuff and washing pots and pans, stuff you added to the law. And then now here you are dishonoring your father and mother and not doing what the, what the law said. By you, by, by, but, but you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. Verse number 12 says what? In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. Next verse says what? Uh, and so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. They did a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't right. Verse 14, let's read. Let's go. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand this. Next verse. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from where? That old evil thing is, that heart. You are defiled not by your diet that you eat. I mean, from a religious standpoint, because there are people who, who, who are of the opinion that you can't eat certain meats and certain things. And then because if you eat those things, you're out of the will of God. Jesus said, ain't what goes into you that messes you up spiritually. It's what comes out of you, what comes out of your heart. Watch what he says here. Look, look at this. Next verse. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just, re- he just used. Now watch what Jesus said to his disciples. Don't you understand either? Are y'all ignorant too? <laughs> That's basically what he says. Don't you understand either? Can't you see that the food you put into your body can't defile you? Because the Pharisees were real big on certain foods you couldn't eat. If you ate those certain foods, you were not right before God. Watch what he says. Here. Food doesn't go into your heart, but it only passes through your... How many of y'all know food don't go to your heart? Now, it may mess with your heart, but it don't go in your heart. <laughs> all right? All things been equal. Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the what? Sewer. All of, how many of y'all got a toilet at your house? Come on, raise your hand. How many of y'all got a toilet? Why do you have a toilet? So that food can leave your body, go into the toilet, and go into the sewer. If your piping is correct. I was watching, I was, I was, I was, I was watching, he, I don't think he even saw me, but I was out walking, uh, I, I think I was driving by and I, I saw my dad out there. Um, he was uh, in the front yard, now he's 80 years old, I know what he was doing because he's had that problem with that particular sewer pipe, I think, for a long time. He, he was out there riding, Dad, were you riding the sewer line out the other day? Yeah, he sure was, wasn't he? 
he was riding the sewer line. The sewer line is designed to take the waste out of the house into the sewer, right? So that, you know, all the smelly stuff you don't smell, right? So if you start smelling smelly stuff in your house, something's wrong with the pipe that's designed to take it out of your house, right? Food doesn't go in your heart, but only pass through the stomach and then go to the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eye. Read that again. By saying this, he declared that what? Every kind of food is what? So don't let, don't let somebody come and put pressure on you and make you think you're outside the will of God because you ate some pork, meat, pork ribs. Y'all know I love ribs, don't you? There are people who's, if that's your personal conviction, that's your personal conviction, but you can't make it a, 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 step, a step for righteousness. Okay? He says it right there. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is settled in God's eye. Verse 20, read this. He says what? And then he added, it's what comes from inside that defiles you. Not what comes out of you. It's what's come from inside. Not what you put in your body. Okay, next verse. says what? Uh, for, from within, out of a person's heart, come, what's in your heart? What's in, what's in our hearts? Evil thoughts. What else is in there? Sexual immorality. When somebody said, well, you know, you know, but pastor, you know, I, I messed up and it wasn't in my heart. Yes, it was. But pastor, you know, I, I know I messed up and maybe I got pregnant out of wedlock. Maybe, you know, because everybody's getting pregnant out of wedlock ain't the only one that's sinning. They just got the outward manifestation. There's a whole lot of folks that's sinning, but they're making sure they don't get pregnant while they're sinning. Is this mic still on? And you, mama, saying, well, you know, let's go to this clinic, go to this clinic and get these pills because, you know, you know uh, uh, the worst thing in the world that can happen is you get it pregnant. No, the worst thing in the world that can happen is, is to commit to sin. The pregnancy ain't the sin. It's just a byproduct of the sin of fornication, which is illicit sexual activity. Pornography in the heart. Adultery in the heart. Bestiality in the heart. Somebody, a local guy just recently got convicted for that. Law enforcement officer in the heart. You sexing with your boyfriend, y'all not married. And you with your girlfriend, it's where? Well, now my heart is like, no, 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 it's in your heart. Smoking weed. I don't know why I keep looking over him when I. Y'all literally got to find another place to sit, okay? Smoking weed. All you hippies over here. Oh. It's in the heart. Sexual morality. Abuse of children. In the heart. Theft, murder. Come on, let's go. Next, next verse. Read. Adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Next verse is what? Uh, all these vile things come from within. That's what messes us up. 
Not because you ate squid. It's this stuff that messes us up. Not because you like to listen to Bobby Blue Bland. Anybody know who Bobby Blue Bland is? Come on, Dars, raise your hand. I know you know who he is. Carl know who he is. <laughs> Carl said, nah. <laughs> let me ask you a question. How many of y'all know who Bobby Rush is? You know, that's my wife's cousin. Yeah. That's Mama Kirk's nephew, Bobby Rush. He sang that song, I ain't studying that. This is a tidbit. Ain't nothing to do with the sermon. She's shaking her head. Why you got to identify him as my cousin? (laughs) But guys, all these things come from within. They are what defile you. See, the heart heart wound has to be dealt with. I spent a little bit more time on it that way I want to because I want you to understand something. I don't want anybody that's sitting here thinking that they're saved and and, and you're not challenged to look at and examine your heart. Because what we do in our life, the sin that we do in our life, it comes from our heart. And even when you're saved, there's some residual effects from this heart wound that if you don't deal with, well, it, it'll pro- crop up again in your life. Amen? Now, let's, let's move. So we said that you know, you know, one of the things that we got to do is deal with the wounds in our life because I can't effectively minister to somebody if I'm not even saved. If I hadn't dealt with my heart wound, if I hadn't accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, how God going to use me to reach somebody else if I'm not really truly saved? All right, let's, let's, let's keep moving, keep moving. So go down, uh, you should turn, turn to your back page, right? Are you all there? So, so concerning our heart, we must recognize and feel feelings. I, I don't have time to go through all of them. But, but you know, there, there's stuff that's happening in us that we got to recognize, we got to be honest about. We got, we got to tell the truth about our hearts to those who are trustworthy. See, when you're dealing with something, be willing to, to share with a trusted friend, a trusted confidant, a Christian believer who can walk you through and give the truth of your heart to God. If you know you got a problem with women, talk to somebody about it and give it to God. If you know you got a problem with men, you're, you're sexually promiscuous, talk to about somebody and give your heart to God in that area. If you know you got a drinking problem, a, a, a a, a drug problem, whatever problem you got, an anger problem or unforgiveness problem that's in your heart, you got to get it to the Lord. Talk to somebody who you can trust, who can help counsel you through it, but be honest about it. Most people wearing masks. And we want to talk about what we need to talk about. Which prevents us from doing to one another's. This next one another is the one we get to honor one another. Go to Romans 12, verse 9. We're told last week we dealt with what? Forgiving one another. The prior week, Brother Craig told us about comforting one another, right? We talked about serving one another, accepting one another, and loving one another. But today I want to hit on in my remaining time about honoring one another. Look at what the text says here. It says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Verse number 10, let's read. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in what? Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in what? Honoring each other. 11 and 12. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Verse 12. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Honor one another. 
Jesus promised that the person who is humble enough to honor others above himself will ultimately be exalted. Luke 14, 11 says, for whosoever exalts himself shall be humble and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Sometimes that exaltation doesn't take place until we get to the heavenly side where the last will be first and the first shall be last. But even in this world, oftentimes we see this principle taking place because uh, it's usually the humble person who is ultimately exalted and used by God. Are y'all with me today? In his book, and some of y'all probably read this in his book, Good to Great. Uh, this was his outstanding book. I would suggest you if you're dealing with leadership, because a lot of people don't understand that leadership has to be learned and studied. You know, maybe you say I'm a natural born leader, but you still have to study how to be a better leader. OK. And in this book, Good to Great, Jim Collins documented the qualities of what he calls a level five leader. Everybody say level five leader. He spent five years, listen to this, guys, he spent five years analyzing what made some companies continue to prosper for decades. One of the most notable characteristics among companies that moved from good to great and sustained it for many years was a CEO who exhibited an attitude of unselfishness and humility. Think about that just for a second. Collins said level five leaders Build enduring greatness through a, a, a blend of personal humility and professional will. Good to great leaders, listen to this, good to great leaders didn't talk much about themselves, but would deflect discussion about their own contributions. When pressed to talk about themselves, they said things like, I hope I'm not sounding like I'm, I'm trying to be a big shot or anything. Or they would say, there are plenty of people in this company who could do my job better than I do. And it wasn't just a false modesty that, that they were exhibiting. These guys walked in humility. These, these great leaders, good to great leaders, whose companies sustained success over decades. It's one thing to do something for two years. But it's another thing to sustain success over 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 year period. The guys who ran these kind of companies, guys, they, 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 they understood and knew that, they, that if we're going to be successful, I got to honor my coworkers. I got to honor people. He says this. Listen to this real carefully. He says uh, they, they would always deflect the attention to other people. He says it wasn't just false humility because those who worked with them or wrote about these good to great leaders continually used words like they were quiet, they were humble, they were modest, they were reserved, they were shy, they were gracious, they were mild-mannered. They didn't believe uh, they didn't believe their own press clippings. See, some of us got to be careful that we don't let what the good that people say about us go to our heads. These good to great leaders, they didn't do that. The good to great leaders never want to become larger than life heroes. Watch out for people who are always saying, look what I've done. It couldn't be successful if I wasn't there. This ministry can't run if I ain't there. The choir ain't going to sing good if I ain't to die and see. Hello? People who are narcissistic in nature and everything's got to be by them, they are not very good at honoring others. People always say, well, I got this expertise. I got this and, and, and you can't tell me. Nothing. Baby, you, you better always be in a position where somebody can tell you something because all of us got some blind spots. 
They were seemingly ordinary people quietly producing extraordinary results. So, so what are some practical steps to honoring one another that we can take? Well, first of all, be understanding and not demanding. If you're going to honor people, you've got to be understanding and not demanding. Go to Philippians 2 and 4 with me right quick. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 4. Question, how do you treat people who provide a service to you? How do you treat the restaurant workers, the clerks, the, the cashiers, the bank tellers, and others who serve you? Are you rude and demanding? Some of y'all are. I've heard about you. Hello. You're a member of EBC, but you're rude and demanding. Stop it. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, if you're doing that, stop it. You can't develop relationships being rude and demanding. Because nobody's going to want to be around you. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Y'all pray for our president. Yeah, that's what I said. Pray for our president because he has a real bad problem with this. Everything's got to be about him. I did it. It wouldn't have happened. It's the greatest in the world. I don't preach politics, but, I, but, I, but what I'm saying is when you have a leader of a nation that's, 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 that's promulgating that type of attitude, it has a way of rolling downhill. So pray for him, please. And the Bible says pray for those who are in authority over you. Okay? So do that. But, but he, there are many others that I could, I could name also athletes in this category, a lot of them. And people who do well and they feel if you're not careful, you'll become arrogant. How do you treat people who work for you? Are you indifferent? Are you impersonal? As if they're just nobody? One of the best ways to begin to honor others is to work at understanding the people who serve you. It's amazing how much more helpful servers are when you are considerate of their feelings and treat them with respect. One thing that Rare and I do when we go to a restaurant to eat, and we do it admittedly more often than we should. I usually try to take a little lunch pretty much every day, right? And that can be a budget buster, but you know, you know we just, that's just what we do. We just like to eat together and commune. And we like to tip people well. It's amazing how great a service you can get when you tip well, you're not stingy. You're not rude. You're not so demanding, so picky. Well, it's got one little pepper too many on this. What? Pimp. I hope we don't have anybody like that in here. And be understanding, not demanding. That's the first step in honoring others. Start at home first. Stop being so demanding with your wife. Stop being so demanding with your husband. Hello, saints. I know my time's about out, but I got to tell you all this. Honoring one another. Be understanding, not demanding. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Don't just be concerned about you and yours, but be concerned about others. All right, next, next thing, next thing. Be gracious and not judgmental. 
Everybody say, be gracious and not judgmental. When someone disappoints you, be gracious and don't be judgmental. Uh, remember what uh, Galatians 6 and, uh, 6 and 1 says? Brother of a man be overtaking the fault, you with your spirit, you go and restore it. Okay? Uh, you who are godless should, the NLT says, you who are godless should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Be gracious and not judgmental. Look at Romans 14 and 1. Hurry. Romans 14 and 1. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Now, again, contextually, what is Paul dealing with here? He's dealing with meat that had been offered to idols. He wasn't talking about sin. We got to deal with sin. Because I, 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 Rick Warren says something, and, it, and I, 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 I'm going to just kind of paraphrase. Because I disagree with you don't mean I got to hate on you. And because I disagree with you don't mean that I don't love you. If I talk to you about the sin of homosexuality in and, and, and a God-honoring way, don't think I'm hating on you and not accepting you. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I accept you, but I don't accept your sin. Y'all with me? All right. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. I'm not going to argue with somebody who, 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 who has a conviction that they can't eat pork meat. Okay, if you don't want to eat it, cool. But I can eat it. And I ain't going to hell. <laughs> you follow me? But I'm not going to sit up there and argue with you all day long about that. That's foolishness. Okay? What's your reaction to people when they mess up their lives? Do you have an in, uh, inward sense of superiority? Do you think you're better than they are because they messed up? So you're not, uh, you, not God-honoring when, when you're not being gracious and you're being judgmental. Um, you know, God puts up with us. And if you read Romans 15 and 7, I don't have time to pop it up on the screen. Romans 15 and 7. God puts, puts up with us. He put, God puts up, uh, puts up with a lot of our stuff, don't he? And if he puts up with our inconsistencies and our weaknesses, we can learn to put up with other shortcomings. Not, in, not ordain it, not say it's okay, but we don't allow what they're into to cause us not to be around them because if I'm not around them, how am I going to influence them? How am I going to build a relationship with them if I cut them off because they messed up? The more you recognize God's grace to you, the more gracious you're going to be to others. Start looking at your own sins first before you go talk to somebody else. And it's going to make you be a whole lot better. Be tender without surrender. What does that mean, Brother Pastor? In other words, I can, I, can, I can talk to you in a calm voice without being argumentative, but that don't mean I'm going to surrender what's right. In other words, I can talk to you, I can pray with you, but that, that don't mean that I'm going to go back from what the Bible says is correct. Amen? One of the tests of our spiritual maturity is how you handle people who disagree with you. Some of y'all don't do that very well. How do you handle people who disagree with you? Some people have a need to destroy everyone who disagrees with them. And if you challenge them or you offer a com- comparison or a complaint or a criticism, they respond with, this is, it's a full-blown, all-out personal attack. And that's not godly. Amen? So you can, you can be tender without surrendering your, 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 your God, God-mandated 
a stance on truth. Okay. Next thing, be teachable, not unreachable. If you're going to honor others, learn how to be teachable and not unreachable. Uh, James 1 and 19 uh, popped it up real quickly and we um, will get you out of here. James 1 19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. If you, if you are a hothead, if you are known as a hothead, people will soon back up from dealing with you because you're argumentative and bombastic. I told a guy that one time, he, he still won't let me forget that today. I said, well, it is true. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. And I only got two of them. I got nine or ten witnesses who say you're argumentative and bombastic. So I'm your brother. I'm going to tell you the truth. I love you. And I've observed you doing the same thing. So, but cool, but I still love you, man. It don't mean I don't love you because I call out what I see. Amen. Be teachable, but not unreachable. Don't, don't be in a position where can't nobody tell you anything. Be an actor, not a reactor. What does that mean? Be an actor, not a reactor. In other words, be willing to initiate resolution. Be willing to, to, uh, to be the one who, who, who will reach out to someone to bring uh, the relationship back together. Don't just react to that person's craziness. Because if, if, you, if you deal with people long enough, you're going to run into some fools. You're going to run into some people who are, who are not mature. So how are you, how you going to respond? How are you going to initiate? Are you going to sit back and just react to what they do? Or are you going to initiate love? Be an actor. Not just a reactor. Don't just react to what other people do. Initiate God honoring relationship principles. Amen. And lastly, be respectful. First Peter 3 and 15. We're going to close on that. Be respectful. If you're going to honor people, you got to be respectful. I may not agree with what you did, but I got to be respectful. We may be a divergent opinion, but I'm, we're going to be respectful. Because I can't win you arguing with you. Hello? I told y'all about that group we saw uh, on, on the way to the game uh, the other Saturday over in, over in Jackson, Mississippi. They were on the corner. Uh, some black Hebrews, like, they were just yelling with bullhorns, angry, uh, talking about people going to the football game and how they were wrong and all that. How you going to win somebody hollering at them like that? You're not. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus sat down with people, talked with them, people who were different than he was. And you got to learn how to reach out and build relationship with people who are different than you. Some of y'all are good at hanging out with folk who, who, who have the same morals and value system that you do. But what about people who are a little bit different than you? How good are you at building a relationship with those kind of folks? Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to what? To explain it. Be ready to explain it. Don't, don't be ready to argue with them, but be ready to explain the hope that's within you. Be respectful. And when you're respectful to people, that sets you up to, to be able to do what the Bible says, to honor one another. Amen? Get a Lord a hand of praise. God bless you.